Welcome to Prajna Sparks, a podcast where we listen to a Dharma talk, contemplate with our minds and in our hearts, and engage in guided meditation. In this episode, in this episode, we're going to look at karmic cause and effect. Every episode of Prajna Sparks takes hours to plan, record, and edit. We ask that you give us some time today to subscribe and review our podcast. Alongside your own practice, this is the best possible offering as it helps the Dharma reach new listeners. When I die, I will have no freedom. Whatever I have done will come back to me. Thus, I will always avoid unwholesome actions and continually engage in wholesome ones. Contemplating this, every day I shall examine my mind. This is one translation of the text in the Mahamudra Nundro Sadhana that addresses the third of the four points for reorienting the mind, namely karmic cause and effect. And there's a lot to unpack here. Let's start by putting this phrase in context. Karma is notoriously vast, a topic, one which the Buddha Shakyamuni declared is impossible to understand in all its niceties, all its intricate detail, by anyone less than a fully awakened Buddha. That doesn't mean that we can't understand karma to some extent to the extent that is useful and helpful in our lives and practice. Otherwise, the Buddha wouldn't have bothered to teach it. The Buddha teaches the forces of karma to help us understand what happens in life, how it happens, and why. So we can look at karma through those lenses. What is karma? How does karma unfold? And why is karma even a thing in the Buddha's teachings? Inevitably, this very short podcast episode will be nothing more than a crash course, a foundation for an understanding of karma. But we cannot overemphasize the value and importance of exploring karma as the Buddha teaches it in the various heritage traditions of Buddhism in Asia. Nowadays, we have a very distorted idea of what karma is generally that's fed by materialist concerns, other versions of karma that do not correspond with the Buddha's teachings, and even folks within modern Buddhist interpretations that reject karma outright and encourage others to do so as well. Personally, we never encourage anyone to reject anything that the Buddha teaches, nor do we encourage anyone to wholesale accept anything the Buddha teaches. As the Buddha himself explains, we should encounter all the teachings like a goldsmith testing ore, cutting, scratching, and smelting it to be able to determine whether we have solid gold. This refers to the three-step process of integrative Dharma practice, listening, contemplating, and meditating. In the teachings on karma, as in every other context, it really helps if we open our mind 
relax our resistances and predetermined cultural ideas and simply listen, contemplate, and meditate. This is the arena for us to work out our own understanding of life and experience and have a dialogue with the Buddha, with the Dharma, and with the Sangha about karma. Where can we begin? All that we experience is a result of karmic action. Karmic action, in turn, refers to action that is fueled by intention, in particular, the kleshas, a Sanskrit word which means the emotions, mental states, and any other mental occurrence that disturbs mind's natural tranquility. Most of the time when we speak of kleshas, we speak of a vast compendium of largely unsavory mental states, things like attachment, craving, jealousy, envy, arrogance, aggression, hatred, delusion, bewilderment, stupidity, and so forth. At root, though, it's about ignorance. The root of all the kleshas, be they generally related to attachment, to aggression, or to delusion, is ignorance of the way things truly exist. This plays out in these unwholesome contexts of aggression or foolishness, confusion or rampant desire. Sometimes, however, that ignorance is simply the very subtle misunderstanding that comes down to not understanding that there is no truly existent self that we cling to. So, for example, when we engage in listening, contemplating, and meditating, when we engage in generosity, ethical discipline, patience, and so forth, there is still a sense of I am being generous to them in this way. A subtle idea of a truly existent self, which is also ignorance and also creates karma. In that case, the karma is considered wholesome, whereas karma that is driven by kleshas such as aggression, desirous attachment, and delusion are considered unwholesome. Why is that? Is it because the Buddha said so? No. It's because wholesome actions actually align with the true nature of things. Unwholesome actions do not. Just like anything else, when we align with something, the result is harmonious, smooth, melodious. We experience that as pleasant and positive. When we do not align with things, the result is experienced as unpleasant, disharmonious, a cacophony of sounds that jangle against one another. This is a very useful example for what wholesome and unwholesome thought, speech, and action refers to in Buddhist thought. So then, what happens? Quite simply, wholesome action yields pleasant results. Unwholesome action yields unpleasant results. This is the simplest formula, so to speak, for karmic cause and effect. And it's a very useful one to begin with because it is simple. It is easy to remember. There isn't a whole lot of explanation there except what is wholesome, what is not wholesome. The Buddha does have a very streamlined 
easy to remember list of what is wholesome and not. What is not wholesome consists of three actions of body, four of the speech, and three of the mind. Namely, first, disrespecting life so much that we actually take another being's life. This is often called killing. Second, taking what is not given. This is often called stealing, but you can hear in that description that it's a lot more than just robbing something. It is being discourteous with respect to others' time, others' boundaries, others' property, others' peace of mind, etc. Third is not honoring intimacy and sexuality. This is often called sexual misconduct. Then come four of the speech, speaking untruths or lying, speaking harshly, speaking in a divisive way that pulls people apart and sets them at odds rather than bringing them together. Fourth, engaging in meaningless chatter or gossip. Then come three of the mind. First is malice, having harmful intent towards others. Second is covetousness, wanting for oneself what others have. And third is distorted views, having incorrect ways of understanding the world and life. This alone is a very good way to begin. It gives the solid foundation of shila or ethical discipline that is the ground for all Buddhist practice. These ten non-virtues also open up to show what the corresponding virtues are. To give but one example, not only do we not take what is not given, but we actively respect others' property, caring for it when it's in our control or falls in our way. For example, we find somebody's wallet on the street and we do what we can to return it to them. Also, respecting others' time, not arriving late on a consistent basis to appointments, meetings, parties, honoring the commitments of time that we make with others so that we are not taking away from them the way that they have arranged their day, their time, and the peace of mind that comes when we meet someone in a timely way without having to wait around and fret and wonder and look at our watches or even honoring people's boundaries, general boundaries that things like politeness teach us to respect, but then individual people may have particular boundaries considering their situation, the particular relationship you have with them, and so forth. Not taking what is not given in that context means not overstepping what is appropriate in any given situation, such that you are introducing a sense of trespass into that relationship. So you can see from just this very simple description how each one of these 10 non-virtues opens up into an atmosphere of excellence when it's viewed from the sense of what is wholesome. It encourages mindfulness and encourages awareness of our interdependence and the impact that we have in relationships. 
it encourages action that is informed with genuine intent. Not just kind in word, but authentic in yielding pleasant results for ourselves and others. Why is this important? Why am I spending so much time on this? Look into your own experience. Consider the same action that you might undertake from different intents. The intent for the action colors how we choose. This is an example that we can use to examine our intent in all our actions and see for ourselves. If I engage in any given action with a wholesome or positive intent, non-wholesome or negative intent, or a neutral one, how does that color my experience? How do I experience a given action through the lens of the intent that drove me to it? This helps us to remain centered in a mindful, intentional, and aware way of engaging with life. Why is that important? At root, what the teachings on karma are letting us know is that our actions do not just evaporate into thin air. Rather, our actions, fueled by intent, create seeds or imprints that remain connected with our mind stream, that are planted or deposited in our mind stream. In that respect, we can think of our mind stream in part as a repository of all the actions we individually have done, as well as actions that beings who previously held this mind stream have deposited. Then we can see when we experience something unpleasant in life that it's not about blaming ourselves or shaming ourselves, but simply owning that there is something in this mind stream that had a unpleasant trajectory from the start and is coming to ripening in our experience today. More often than not, what we experience in this life is not a result of actions in this life. So you can see right there how karma immediately segues into birth, death, and rebirth. See how complicated it is, how intricate, how interconnected, This is not a reason for running in the opposite direction, but simply taking things one step at a time. You can think of the mind stream as a vast spool of satin that is constantly unspooling, just like knitting yarn or a thread or twine in the kitchen or a ball of yarn for a kitten to play with. That spooling goes well or not, depending on the kinks that get into the expanse of the fabric. Karmic seeds and imprints are like those kinks that distort the satin of mind. What is birth and death then? Simply knots that we conceptually place at the beginning and end of a particular expanse of that fabric. But that does not negate the fact that the fabric continues backwards before the knot we call birth, and continues forward after the knot we call death. Karma, in many ways, is about how we unfold our life, how we create our experiences. It is not anything about retribution or punishment. 
Rather, it is very much about our own empowerment to recognize the places where we could use a good declutter, where we can purify particular habitual tendencies that plague us and start opening to more subtle ones, as well as ways that we can create wholesome, healthy experiences going forward. This builds character, confidence in ourselves, and this builds a sense of co-creating life with the various conditions that we encounter day to day, the various people, the teachings, and the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha themselves. In this light, karma is an implement of vital importance for crafting a life that corresponds with the highest aspiration for ourselves, not only in this life, but past that knot we call death, and continuing forward along that unspooling length of satin that continues past that point. Understood in this light, karmic cause and effect appearing as third of the four thoughts that reorient the mind makes a lot of sense. The priceless human existence and impermanence with respect to our own mortality, the first two points for reorienting the mind, are encouraging us to look at how we prioritize things in this life. Are the family, the friends, the possessions, the wealth, the enjoyments, the very body we now inhabit, things that are ends in themselves, or are they vehicles for growing into the true nature of our mind, embodying all of the wholesome qualities that are intrinsic to mind, and releasing, letting go, purifying those that are inconsistent with mind's true nature? karmic cause and effect then is in some part building on that sense of reorienting away from this life as an end in itself and seeing how all of the wonderful things we have the privilege to enjoy are vital spiritual ingredients for building resourcefulness, resilience, and spiritual maturity within our mind stream. Karmic cause and effect tempers too unrealistic a sense of that by saying you're not in control of everything, but we do have some power for some things. And to the extent that that is within our reach, it is vital that we make the most of it. It is saying, yes, don't take this life to be an end in itself. And also, even if you consider future lives, that unspooling satin beyond the knot we call death, don't be so convinced that just having a positive life next time around is an end in itself. Start looking beyond even that much. And we'll see more about where that takes us in our next episode, covering the fourth point for reorienting the mind, the tragedy that is samsara. Karmic cause and effect helps us to engage our life, our days, our moments from a space of sacred creativity and resonance with mind's true nature, wise, kind, and powerful.
here are some seeds of contemplation for working with karmic cause and effect. These are just suggestions that you can use to jumpstart your contemplation should you find the need for inspiration or direction. As we are working with karma, it's so important to get in touch with the fact that this is part of the Buddha's explanation of why things are the way they are, of how it is that we come to be and enjoy varying degrees of happiness or suffering. No one's saying that we have to believe this or take it on ourselves blindly. As with any aspect of the Buddha's teachings, these are present to help us to facilitate our own precise knowledge, to help us delve deeper into just what is going on in our experience and our lives. For these seeds of contemplation, one question we can ask ourselves is, how certain am I in karmic cause and effect? What do I need to clarify for myself in terms of those teachings? As with so many things, it's so easy to just take on a sense of thinking, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Just skim along the surface, not really giving our mind time to steep and recognize all of the connotations, the permutations of karma, of what it can mean, of how it can affect us, not just intellectually, but on that heart level, in our emotions, in our behavior. So as we engage with these seeds of contemplation, we can ask, do I orient myself around virtue and wholesomeness? When don't I? Why is that? Hopefully some of these seeds of contemplation will spark great examinations for you, where you'll get to delve into your own experience, see what it is you believe, see what it is that motivates you, and what you choose to orient your day and your month and your life around. This is Yeshe and Zopa for Pajna Sparks. Be sure to join us every month on the new and full moons for fresh episodes. Stay tuned now for a guided meditation. Shivni is our Tibetan singing bowl artist. Thanks for the generosity of giving us some time out of your day to like, subscribe, share, and review Prajna Sparks. It really does help us to spread the gift of Dharma to new listeners. If you have any questions, contact us via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Check the episode notes for those links and for more resources on today's topic. Visit us on the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prajna Sparks. Thank you for listening. May all beings benefit. Hello, friends, and welcome to the meditation on karmic cause and effect. As we usually do, let's just take a few moments to arrive, to ground, 
settling into our posture, into this present moment, allowing whatever busyness of body or mind has preceded this moment, just to settle a little bit into the background, giving ourselves permission to arrive here and now, to check in with our physical posture, and to breathe, to settle naturally. Feel that ease and spaciousness as you arrive. Now let's engage in a bit of tranquility meditation, shamatha, to settle the mind, to hone our attention, bring it into one-pointedness that's both easeful yet sharp and alert, that sweet balance point. taking the breath as our focal object or whatever object feels appropriate to you for your meditation at this time. Allow mind to rest one-pointedly on that, not getting involved in any of the storylines of thoughts, memories, anticipations. Just allow mind to come to rest one-pointedly on the breath. And let's practice like that for a couple of minutes.
in that calm, settled state of mind, alert and clear, turn attention now to karmic cause and effect. For our practice today, we will take the words of the Mahamudra Mundro or preliminary practice as our guide for settling in, looking deeper into karmic cause and effect. When I die, I will have no freedom. Whatever I have done will come back to me. Therefore, I will always avoid harmful actions and continually engage in wholesome ones. Thinking thus, every day I will examine my mind. Let's tease these apart for our meditation. Same as we were doing in our tranquility practice, allow mind to rest one-pointedly on what it is that you're contemplating, whatever you are engaging in analytical meditation with. When I die, I will have no freedom. Feel into that. Imagine this point of death, which we are approaching, and the lack of freedom, meaning the lack of power. At that point, we're going to be assailed by the unknown. We're going to be losing all the things that we are so familiar with, even our own body that we identify so closely with. At that point, whatever I have done will come back to me. Our actions are our true inheritance. They are what color our mind stream. This incredible, vivid flow, always changing, moving onwards. Contemplating in this way, we can look at our actions of body, speech, and mind, recognizing that distinct link between cause and effect. If we do not want the effect of suffering, of unpleasant experience, whether that unpleasant experience be as simple as a splinter in the hand or as intense as the most unimaginable pain and suffering, then we must remove the cause. Not only must we remove it, we have to abstain, protect ourselves from planting any of those seeds that would ripen into those unpleasant experiences so difficult to bear. And likewise, all of our pleasant experiences, a kind word that fills us with warmth, seeing a friend's face light up with a smile when they see us, and everything else that we find pleasant, enjoyable, fills us with pleasure and happiness. All of these things come from wholesome action previously done. Our experience of them as pleasant, arises due to our wholesome actions. Where does this sit in me? 
How grounded am I in this? Pause and investigate here your own experience. Welcome in any resistance, any certainty. Look with kind curiosity and clarity. Thinking thus, every day I will examine my mind. Here, in some ways, is the crux of the matter, having found some aspect of certainty, if we have, we can shore it up with this determination, this recognition of, oh, this is what's meaningful. This is how I go from good to good, to better, to most magnificent radiance of supreme Buddhahood, perfecting the benefit of myself and others. It's through cultivating wholesome action of body, speech, and mind. When we can feel that in ourselves, in our experience, This has a very powerful, propelling force for us along our spiritual path. If we can't feel that, or if we have doubt, that's also wonderful. Allow that to be there. This practice is about getting to know ourselves in conversation with the Buddha and his teachings looking and investigating to see for ourselves. Is this true? What if it is just as the Buddha taught? How then shall I live my life? What then shall I pursue? Thank you so much for your practice and for everything that you do and everything that you are. Please join me now in gathering up whatever goodness has come from this listening, contemplating, and meditating and sharing it freely with ourselves and all beings so that we may all adopt wholesome action, the cause of well-being and abandon wrongdoing, cause of harm, discontent, suffering in our mind streams, and that we may continually cultivate in this fashion until we realize our true nature, the absolute purity, beyond pure and impure, that is not at all enslaved to appearances, master of all that it experiences. May it be so. Thank you.